Morrison censured over multiple ministries, Labor wins promised reforms, and the good news is about cheaper electric vehicles. This is The Week on Wednesday. Hello and welcome to The Week on Wednesday. My name is Ben Davison and I am your co-host for today's episode and every episode. And I'm joined here at home by the great, the glorious, the best-selling author of QAnon, A Short and Shocking History of Internet Conspiracy Cults, and the birthday girl herself, <laughs> Van Badham. How are you, Van? Well, I must apologise for the excited state of our dog, who is making rather a lot of noise today, aren't you, Jim? Yes, you are. I don't know what's got this little puppy so hit up, but there's just a lot going on. So apologies in advance. Look, there's a lot to be excited about. Obviously, the Andrews Labor government was returned on the weekend. You can tune into our weekend wrap that you and I did. People can catch that. There's an hour-long discussion there. We did. We did a full blow-by-blow Victorian state election analysis for our weekend wrap. It's been an incredibly popular episode. So check that out if you want our analysis of the campaign, the media coverage, the outcome. That's all in there. We're not going to dwell on that today because today... This week is also the final parliamentary sitting week of 2022. And of course, there has been a rather a lot going on in Canberra this week. Man. Yes, I think we're all very unused to it because after Malcolm Turnbull left, the Liberals sort of didn't have a policy agenda anymore. So we weren't, apart from, you know, oh, how can we bash unions this week? There wasn't really a lot to it. Whereas now, new government, big promises made before the federal election, and they're legislating like wildfire, which I've got to say I support, given the fact that sometimes centre-left parties can be a bit slow uh, mm. out of the starting blocks and think, oh, well, you know, people have come around, and it's, it doesn't always work out that way. Yeah, well, there's certainly no uh, no dawdling. Off no the, dawdling. No dawdling off the blocks no. uh, for the Albanese Labor government. The, the running full-on into the end of the year, and they're even extending the sittings on to Saturday, uh, which will be interesting to see if the Liberal MPs demand penalty rates, by the way. Um, but That was beautiful, Benny. <laughs> thank Absolutely you very much. Absolutely beautiful, yes. Uh, but, of course, there's a lot that's been going on. Uh, big news today, of course, is the censure motion against Scott Morrison in light of the Bell Inquiry findings regarding him holding multiple ministries. We, of course, spoke about this when the news broke some months ago. Scott Morrison had himself sworn in to hold five different ministries. And he wanted more, we have found out. This is what the inquiry has discovered. Uh, Morrison was given uh, an unlimited amount of time to address the censure motion. Tony Burke, the manager of government business in the House, said that the time limits would be removed and the former Prime Minister would be given as much time as he wanted to explain himself and defend uh, his position or explain his position. Oh, and didn't he defend himself, didn't he? He apologised to those people who were offended by his actions for being for their offence. They've only got one line. I'm surprised he didn't offer thoughts and prayers to everybody who was like, what on earth did you do? It was the most amazing thing to see a former Prime Minister who lost government partly on the basis that people no longer trusted him, 
stand up and go, I did nothing wrong, despite the fact that multiple independent inquiries, investigations uh, led by judges, former judges, high-ranking lawyers, have found that my actions undermined trust in democracy, trust in government. This is the words that sort of words that have been used in these reports. Despite that, he maintains that what he did, there was nothing wrong with what he did. And he's really only sorry if some people were offended by it. And he's wrong and personally apologized, or not even apologized, explained the situation, he said. He explained the situation to the former finance minister that he thought his office had told the former. Like, he's not getting it at all, is he? It is absolutely off chops, I've got to say. He thinks it's like, you know, being on the committee of, of the men's club and somehow or another he's offended someone by leaving them off the email chain, you know. I'm sorry you didn't get to put in your, you know, favourite wine request for the wine list this year because you accidentally fell off the email chain, Matthias Corman. I really thought the staff of the club were going to sort that out. My apologies. It's like that's not the problem here, Scott. Do you but- want to hear some of the co- the quotes? Yeah, please. They're absolutely brilliant. So Paul Carp, one of our favourite journalists, I mean, it, it's a wonderful day in journalism where you don't have to explain anything. He's just He's just literally posting quotes. I am proud of my achievements. I am proud of my government. At a time of extreme trial, my government stood up and faced the abyss of its uncertainty we looked into, the coercion of a regional bully, and saw Australia through the storm. That's China, by the way. Scott Morrison is deciding to denounce China as a regional bully in his own... Censure mode. In his own... By the way, everybody, this is historic. No former prime minister has ever been censured by the parliament before. And let's just be honest, former prime ministers include include people like Robert Menzies, who at the height of World War II um, suggested that Australian troops, rather than defend Australia, should go to England and defend the motherland, and that he, as an Australian prime minister, should sit in a war cabinet in England rather than defend this country against regional aggression. All right, so some pretty big sins. Let's not forget, of course, you know, Australian troops being sent to Vietnam, the stealing of Aboriginal children, all of these terrible things that have happened in Australian history, like in our name, as led by former Prime Ministers and Scott Morrison has copped the censure motion. It is historic. And he, and yet at no point... Is he actually taking responsibility, showing humility, saying that this was wrong? You know, I was given the privilege of representing Australia as its leader and I made several terrible judgments. None of that. No self-reflection, just absolute personal grievance and self-righteousness. Well, he calls it a political attack. He basically has said that he's being victimised by the current government Uh you know, Mark Dreyfus, who is the Attorney General, uh, pointed it to the Morrison quotes around, if somebody had asked me, I would have told them, as though somehow or another every press conference to every Prime Minister or every Premier should start with, so Prime Minister, have you secretly appointed yourself to any ministries this week that we should be aware of, or any at all? And have you told the other ministers? Like, it's it's a nonsense to, to just deny the responsibility that you have as the leader of the government to be transparent about which portfolios 
you have personally taken control of. Carp uh, uh, acknowledges that Morrison made one small concession. Um, he says the three additional portfolios that he took on after he took, you know, Treasury and Health were unnecessary and that insufficient consideration was given to these decisions at the time, including to non-disclosure. Oh, oh, well, there we go. Completely self-aware. Thanks, Scott. And he also made the comment, I accepted the result of the last election, as I should willingly and happily. And Paul Karp makes the point, is this like the Women's March <laughs> met with bullets comments? Like, well, mm. you should thank me for doing the basic minimum of which I was expected. It is just absolutely shocking. People hate him. Yeah. I mean, this is what I find so interesting. You and I were talking about this before, is that, you know, the the line that was relentlessly pushed and through the right-wing media commentary, it absolutely, was, you know, Scott Morrison had made the tough decisions and Scott Morrison had, you know, shown the leadership and, you know, maybe he made some mistakes, but he was Scott Morrison, right? We have been told this and fed this to the point where we're about to either choke on it or mm. spew it up. And yet Daniel Andrews, ah, oh, Dictator Dan, Dictator Dan. Well, Daniel Andrews wasn't the one with the secret portfolios. Yeah. Daniel Andrews was the one who was fronting press appearances every day and making a point of answering every question, despite the fact there were active threats against his life, the life of his partner and the life of his children that were being made by absolute crazy wackadoos at the time all of this was going on. And, you know, but we were told, you know, Morrison was this paragon of leadership and the rest of it. Well, I think the people of, of Australia have spoken about whose behaviour was appropriate and accountable in the pandemic mm. and whose was it. And I noticed that, you know, certainly the people of Victoria backed in Daniel Andrews to the tune of at least 52 seats, which is an overwhelming majority, by the way, the age, not a narrow victory, an overwhelming majority. If Labor have more than twice the seats of the Liberal Party who are the opposition, I think we can say that's a pretty conclusive victory, guys. Not narrow. And whereas Scott Morrison, you, as my mother would say, you wouldn't have him on your knee for a wart. <laughs> And look, I mean, I'm not really sure I understand that saying, but I couldn't agree more. Quite frankly, we've seen a number of elections since the pandemic started, and yep, the rally around the flag effect maybe helps explain the WA result, but since the the kind of lockdown periods of the pandemic ended, we've had federal election, we've had the state election in Victoria, we've had a state election in South Australia, and overwhelmingly, people have rejected the liberal ideologues who have tried to push down into people's throats this idea that Scott Morrison was somehow the brave saviour. And quite frankly, I think the New South Wales Liberal Party should be absolutely terrified. Shaken in their shoes. Because the Liberal Party's response to Scott Morrison's vitriolic defence of himself, his attack against the Albanese Labor government, his dismissal of the concerns of millions of Australians about his anti-democratic behaviour was it wasn't a power grab. I didn't use those powers except for that one time where I decided to block that one thing that I didn't think the minister should approve. So I decided to make myself minister and not approve it and didn't tell the other guy. But he was doing a good job otherwise. But other than that, it wasn't a power grab. But the inquiry has found out that he wanted to take on more portfolios. Well, this is and this thing. is the thing, dude, you're incompetent at being Prime Minister. On what planet do you think you were competent to run a ministry of one? But can I say, the, the, the conga line of 
Liberal MPs shaking his hand and slapping him on the back and then walking out during the censure debate. I don't know why we lost in Victoria. Oh, it's a mystery. I've got to say... Communist infiltration, clearly. If if I was Matt Cain or Dominic Perrottet in New South Wales right now, I'd be looking at that going... Do these idiots not understand that we are going to lose? The Liberals are going to lose government in every every jurisdiction in this country if the Liberal brand continues to be associated with the Morrison Dutton wackadoo conservative conspiratorial uh, out there positioning that they keep taking. And who of of the Liberal national benches? Did not shake Scott Morrison's hand today, Ben. Well, Bridget Archer. And where's Bridget Archer from? From the usually bellwether seat of Bass. Bridget Archer has held on to Bass by actually putting forward a Menzian set of liberal values and has said today that she's not condemning the whole term of government and that's not what the censure motion does. It doesn't do that. It condemns Scott Morrison's... Secret dictatorship. That's right. <laughs> And she says that his behaviour was unaccountable and unacceptable and should be censured. And I agree with her. Like, yeah, she's a liberal and we disagree about a lot of things, but on that, we agree. And good on her for standing up. Well, there's a photo of her sitting by herself as this little gaggle of liberals gather around Scott Morrison, Alex Hawke patting him on the back and Michael Sucker shaking his hand, you know, and Stuart Roberts in there. They're all in there having a good time and there she is by herself. And I just go, you know, if the Liberals had more Bridget Archers and fewer Alex Hawks, there'd probably be more Liberals in parliaments around the country. So in some ways, thank God for the Alex Hawks because it means Labor governs and Labor will continue to govern because they do not accept that they're accountable to the people. We are going to get so much public infrastructure. It's going to be great. Oh, thank you, Alex. Thank you, Stu. Thank you. I, it's like I'm now like, oh, they're not in government anymore. I have the luxury of forgetting so many of their names. <laughs> oh, it's like being on a beach holiday in your brain, isn't it? It is. In the sand. Look. I don't even know that guy's face anymore. Speaking of which, the Liberal Party in Victoria, recovering from the defeat, has put up three candidates for the leadership and I can't tell them apart. I think it's Johnson, Johnson, Johnson and Associates now, isn't it? It's Rather pretty than funny. the Liberal Party of Victoria. But look, we want to talk um, want to talk about the uh, Labor government actually delivering. This is its final week of, of sitting for the year and, of course, six months since the election. Uh, huge announcement that we talked about on Sunday in terms of the Secure Jobs Better Pay legislation. That's going to go through, through the parliament. We've seen uh, the respective work laws, which places an emphasis on the employer to prevent sexual harassment and sexual violence in the workplace and holds them responsible for that, which is I think most people would think something that should already have been in place. Yeah, but it wasn't. But it wasn't um, and something the Liberals had had opposed in the past. Uh, We've seen the passing of the National Anti-Corruption Commission laws. This is so exciting that those laws have gone through because this was such an important issue for so many, a very broad coalition of people across the electorate, and I mean an actual coalition of people. It was obviously something that the Teals ran on extremely hard. 
um, and was obviously a vote-changing issue for them and has become an article of faith amongst the Labor voting community that ICACs and anti-corruption commissions are a good thing. And we had a bit of fun and games. The Greens and the Liberals got together and the Greens started threatening that they were going to block the legislation unless somebody who wasn't from the government got to head you know, the referral powers of like just nonsense. Well, I think they took an absolute kicking on social media and miraculously back down. But it's just like every single time the Greens line up with the Liberal Party, every time that it's happened, it, the Liberal Party has come out of that deal with all the advantages. Yeah. And I don't know if somebody politely mentioned this to the Greens, you know, but for me, every time I see the Greens sitting with the Liberals, all I can think of is Lucy with the football in peanuts going, I'll hold the ball, Charlie Brown, and you kick it, you know, wearing Liberal Party blue and snatching the ball at the last minute. So I was really pleased about the back, the, the back down, but absolutely stoked that the that the knack is going through. Yeah, I think it's a fantastic outcome. And, look, I want to also just point out that the reforms to workplace laws, you know, we've seen, uh, we've seen inflation numbers come out today, which are slightly lower than expected. The expected range was somewhere between sort of 7.4 and 7.6% inflation. It's about 6.9. 6.9, yeah. Uh, which is starting to move in the right direction, which is down. Uh, but obviously, we need wages to get moving. And Labor promised to get wages moving. They promised industrial reforms. Uh, there was a bit of debate early on, which sort of said, oh, Labor didn't have a mandate for this. It's like, well, they did, actually. They absolutely did. And David Pocock has come to the party, so to speak. Uh, he's had amendments, and that's fine. Like, this is a big piece. We went into this over the weekend about what the Pocock amendments are. And you can so have a listen to those. if you want the detail, do have a listen. But I want, to, I want to stress here that the vast majority of Australians support these reforms. The ACTU commissioned independent research by Redbridge, which uh, if you watched uh, any of the ABC coverage of the Victorian election, you'll have seen Cos Samaras from Redbridge uh, and also the the former Liberal advisor from Redbridge on there. They have people from both sides of politics in that particular firm. Their research shows over 60% of Australians know that their wages are not keeping up with inflation. Around 60% believe that workers need better rights. Uh, more than 60% believe workers uh, across a company should be able to negotiate together for a collective agreement to cover everybody in a company. And around 60% also believe that workers in different companies that do similar things where they're of common interest should be able to bargain for better wages and conditions. This is an overwhelming majority oh, yeah. in terms of Australian electoral politics. The Liberals and the Nationals are voting against the reforms, the Secure Jobs Better Pay reforms. As I understand it, the Jackie Lambie Network have still decided they want to vote against it. Again, Tasmania, the lowest paid workers in the country. There are Tasmanian workers working for the same company as people on the mainland who are earning $200 a week less. That's $200 a week less than the people doing the same job for the same company on the mainland. The idea that Jackie Lambie is... Wants to keep Tasmanian workers disadvantaged to that level is disgraceful. It is disgraceful. I'm really disappointed. Like, Jackie Lambie is... You know, is somebody who has a moment, 
And I've thoroughly encouraged those moments. I have massive disagreements with her, as you can imagine. Mm-hmm. But she's very keen to position herself as a you know friend of the working class and a champion of the you know hardworking bogan. And what have you been in Parliament too long, Jackie? You well, know, it's an like interesting one. The idea that you would vote against pay parity for Tasmanians and call yourself a representative of Tasmania is outrageous. And look. The Australian Union movement has been trying to make this point to Jackie Lambie over the last month. Uh, they've done the research. They've put it out there that, you know, I know there's been a lot of activity online. Um, if you're not already a member of your union and you're listening to this podcast for the first time, welcome. We're only uh, 113 episodes in or 213 episodes in, I should say. And we're married now, so you'll <laughs> never get rid of us. Uh, but you should be joining your union, australianunions.org.au slash wow, that's W-O-W, because, you know, unions are pointing this out to Jackie and they're trying to get Jackie Lambie to understand that while the Liberal Nationals and some of the big business lobbies People like uh, Alan Joyce, the CEO of Qantas, they're the sorts of people who are against this particular bill because they know that it gives working people more power to get better outcomes for themselves in their workplaces wherever they are around the country, but particularly for people in places like Tasmania where their bargaining power is less, where the threat of the employer taking, taking the work elsewhere hangs over so many people. Having the strength of numbers to demand more secure employment. One of the big things in this bill is it limits the amount of times people can be put on rolling contracts before they have to be given an ongoing job. Huge improvement in the lives of hundreds of thousands of Australians just in that one thing. How Jackie Lambie can vote against that is is beyond me, quite frankly. Oh, it's hurtful. It's genuinely hurtful. So just I would encourage everyone to get on board Join your union, australianunions.org.au slash wow. Participate in the campaign. It's not too late for people to change their mind on this stuff, you know. There's going to be an implementation period here and we're going to need Jackie Lambie to get on board, to start to talk positively about this because undoubtedly there will be a big business reaction. They've already threatened to run a big campaign. Well, their window is going to close. The bill is going to pass. But as we know, Van, the struggle continues. The struggle is ongoing, comrade. And they will come back at us. We know big business will not take this lying down. Doesn't matter how productive we are. Doesn't matter how low unemployment gets. Doesn't matter how much profit they're making. Doesn't matter how much propaganda they insist to the people that they're the real engines of the economy and they're the ones who, you know, create growth and they're the ones, you know, whose entrepreneurialism is is building the future. And it's like, well, prove it to us because at the moment, the way that you're achieving your profit margins is through the artificial suppression of wages of the people who work for you. So if you are these great captains of industry, you know, these capitalist geniuses, prove it, pay your workers properly and earn your own money. Sounds like a good plan. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds like a great plan. I'd like to see them do it. Fantastic. I'd like to see them do it. Um, one of the other issues that's come through, uh, you know, been discussed at length, was promised during the election campaign, is the voice to parliament. And, of course, in the last couple of days, we've seen the National Party uh, come out and say that as a collective, the, the Federal National Party is going to vote against and potentially campaign against the voice to parliament. 
Now, this is not a universally held view within the National Party caucus. No, it is not. Andrew G, who is a National Party member who could not attend the caucus meeting because he was with his constituents in a flood-ravaged area, has come out and said that he supports the voice to Parliament. Um, Andrew Mayo, who, of course, is an Indigenous activist, uh, author, trade unionist, has said that if we were going to rely on the National Party to improve the conditions of Indigenous Australians, then we'd still be working for rations. Let's go forward together and win the voice. I couldn't agree more. Like the National Party, if he's absolutely right. Like I can't improve on what on what Thomas said because yeah, you said Andrew. Oh, did I say Andrew? You meant Thomas Mayer. Thomas Mayer. Yeah, yeah I was like, no, sorry, 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 Thomas Mayer. Andrew G is the National MP. Thomas Mayo is the unionist, uh, an activist who said that if we're relying on the Nationals, uh, then we'd still be working for rations. Uh, like, and he's right. I just, yeah, it is really, really horrible. And Noel Pearson made some interesting comments the other day about Jacinta Price. Jacinta Price, yeah. uh, former deputy mayor, deputy mayor of Alice Springs, Indigenous woman, and she's country Liberal Party from the Northern Territory. And isn't she, you know, getting a, a lot of airtime for her anti-voice views? And Noel Pearson was like, you know, these are not voices that represent all Aboriginal people. You know, amazingly enough, and I know this will come as a shock to a lot of racists, but Indigenous First Nations Australians have a great diversity of opinion. It's one of the reasons why there is a huge community movement to get a voice to parliament so Indigenous people can examine their own issues within a democratic structure as pertains to them. Like, and this is what's so important. Jacinda Price campaigning against the voice is actually a, a really powerful reason to have it. Yeah, it like, is. Like, why don't we have a mechanism for Indigenous Australians, First Nations Australians, to make their own decisions as to policy issues that affect them and speak to government through a democratic mechanism. Look, Van, I couldn't agree more. You know, we saw this, of course, uh, with the Greens senator from Victoria who tried to sort of speak on behalf of all First Nations Victorians when the Victorian treaty process was being set up and elders from across Victoria going, Hang on a minute. No, 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 no. Lydia Thorpe does not speak for all uh, First Nations Victorians just because she's a First Nations person who's been elected to a parliament. And and there was a real backlash against that from a whole raft of the community going, just because a person is First Nations and elected to the parliament doesn't mean they speak for all First Nations people. And you're right about Jacinta Price. Jacinta Price is a senator from the Northern Territory. Jacinta Price can claim legitimately to speak for the people of the Northern Territory. That's it. That's the that's as far as the, her democratic mandate extends. She was elected to represent the people of the Northern Territory. Now, yes, and not elected exclusively. By First Nations Australian. No. And this is the point. And this is the point of having the voice. It is part of a process. Voice, treaty, truth. There has to be a mechanism 
for Indigenous First Nations Australians to be able to debate, thrash out what will treaty look like, you know, who is going to represent this very diverse community of Australians. And despite what the Nationals have said, the, the, the leadership of the Nationals have said in terms of there not being enough consultation and the one uh, Aboriginal person that uh, David Littleproud spoke to in his own electorate had never been consulted about it, well, I'm sorry about that, David, but there was a long process. Um, the Uluru Statement from the Heart was a, a process that brought together Indigenous people from around Australia, First Nations people from around the continent of Australia to thrash out what this should look like. And this was what they came up with. This was, it may not be a universal view, and that's that's fine. That's how democracy works. But the, the majority view, the, the position that came out of that process was to get a voice to parliament, then from that to develop out the truth and treaty process. That's, we have been invited as non-First Nations people, as citizens of Australia, to participate in that, to help facilitate that, to go on that journey with people, that's a hell of an invitation. And as Anthony Albanese says... It's a generational privilege. It is, and it would be... And it is it is just good manners to accept that invitation, to go on that journey and, and to follow it through with our First Nations people. For David Littleproud, the member for Maranoa, to go... Well, I don't think it represents the Indigenous people in my particular seat in Kingaroy. Like it's just fine, David. You vote against it, mate. But if you want to lead a political party into the fringes, the fringes of Australian society, let me tell you, that's what you're doing. Because it's interesting to note, once again, in New South Wales, the Nationals leader in New South Wales at a state level has said, David Littleproud leads the Nationals at a federal level and what he does and what that caucus does has nothing to do with what we do in New South Wales. We'll, we'll follow our own path, thank you very much. Shaken in their shoes. And you've got to wonder, you've got to wonder, you know, the Liberals and the Nationals at a federal level in Victoria, in some other parts of the country, seem to be quite happy to be representing these fringe ideas to, to be representing this very angry, very loud minority of people who don't who don't want to embrace the fact that our First Nations people have given us this opportunity, who don't want to accept that invitation, who who quite frankly on a whole range of issues, on workplace rights, on women in the workplace, on the National Anti-Corruption Commission, they just continually take these regressive positions. Okay. But obviously there are some people who get that if they want to stay in government in places like New South Wales, they can't afford to do that because it's out of step with modern Australia van. Oh, it is, and this is their problem everywhere. You know, I made this point in the ABC yesterday that I think the Liberal Party was cooked, it was certainly cooked in Victoria when they lost Julia Banks. Julia Banks, who was the member for Chisholm, she was the seat that the Liberals won in um, 2016, mm. which enabled Turnbull to stay Prime Minister, and they had a majority of one vote, one, and it was the marginal that they didn't actually expect to win, which was Chisholm. And Julia Banks, you know, from a migrant family, hard work, socially progressive, economically conservative, lawyer, business person, 
very sort of aspirational Australian. Like mm. if you work hard and you do good at school, you could be like Julia Banks and earning that kind of money and, you know, leading that kind of life. Mm. And they treated her like absolute garbage, you know, saddled other people in that caucus who held political positions like she did, more socially progressive, with all of their cultural anti-climate nonsense. And then they marginalised, harassed, marginalised her and drove her out of the caucus like they did with everybody who was like Mm. that. And so you had only this sort of rump of liberal moderates left. And, you know, in Victoria they pre-selected Renee Heath, who's a religious fundamentalist extremist who's going to let God determine the course of her vote, which is amazing. I mean, maybe you and I should run for parliament. We should get the garden gnomes to talk to us. Well, it just it speaks to a lack of understanding about modern Australia. There are lots of people that we know, lots of people in lots of communities that hold religious Beliefs. I hold religious beliefs. And that's great, you know, and, and there's a diversity of religious belief. You know, we are a diverse nation and that's a good thing. And bringing those views to the table and having them inform our values and inform our own personal behaviour, there's no problem with that. But when people blur the lines and they take an Americanization view of politics and they go, God will decide how I vote, that is not logical. That is not sensible. That is not fulfilling a democratic mandate. It's also against what Jesus himself says in the Bible, which is to render unto Caesar what is Caesar's, that is your civic responsibility determined by the laws of a civic community, and unto God what is God's, which is, of course, your everlasting soul. They are two distinct and separate things that the Lord himself identified. Sorry to just retreat into the tenets of my faith for a moment, but I just, I'm always like, which book did you guys read? But it's also, it also says that you're going to shut out every Australian who is Hindu, who is Muslim, who is Jewish, who is perhaps Christian but not of the same sect of Christianity as you? What about the people who are Orthodox? If you're a Protestant, what about the Catholics? Like there are so, there is a plethora of religious belief out there. I haven't got a problem with any of it. If you're not hurting anyone else, if you're not encouraging other people to hurt other people, you can believe that the garden gnomes are telling you to love thy neighbour as much as you, as much as you want. Hail garden gnomes! I've got no problem with that. It's when you say you're going to take somebody's interpretation of what your invisible friend says you should do and try and make that law in a way that will hurt people, hurt children, hurt women, hurt our LGBTIQA plus community members, hurt people of other religious faiths, that I have a significant problem with it. When you take that and you say, this means that I don't have to treat First Nations people equally because my particular invisible friend says they're not equal. Those sorts of things are dangerous, undemocratic, and lead to theocracies and dictatorships. The nationals want to play this footsie game that, frankly, reminds me of the kind of white Australia policy that, thankfully, was long gone by the time I was born and reminds me of the kind of the the wave he'll walk off and the Gurindji having to say it's not okay to treat us as second-class citizens because you've managed to get one, one First Nations person 
to say it's okay. Like that's not how it works, David. You got to wake up to yourself. You got to go with the majority, my friend, because if you don't, you'll end up in the kind of electoral oblivion that the liberals are finding themselves in right across the country. And, you know, this was the point made by Noel Pearson. He talked about the right-wing celebrity vortex where, you know, like a media media ecosystem exists in Australia through Sky News, which fortunately is not influential on the electorate, uh, Victoria, case in point, but which gives people who are desperate for attention attention for expressing the nuttiest right-wing views, the most extremist positions, pursuing contrarianism and division. There's a reward mechanism for that, but it's not a reward for the Australian people. No, it's a personal reward and it's unacceptable. Look, we have to end on some good news, a shorter episode today. Good news is that despite Liberal National Party opposition in the Senate, (laughs) uh, sensing a theme here, electric vehicles will be cheaper in Australia as a result of tax cuts passed by the Albanese Labor government, championed, of course, by our good friend Chris Bowen, this is great news for Australia. Isn't it, it is. Look, it's great because it's going to make electric vehicles more affordable. There is a tax cut. It, it, it <laughs> there was a vote. It was thirty-one to twenty-four. I literally cannot believe anyone voted against an, a, a bill to make electric vehicles cheaper. You were making the point, of course. It's like. Um, but, you know, we thought the Liberals were the party of cutting taxation. Yeah, that's right. The Liberals make such a song and dance about, you know, Labor's the taxing party and the Liberals are the low-tax party. Well, the two highest-taxing governments in Australian history have both been Liberal governments, and now, of course, the Liberal opposition has voted against a tax cut, in this case for electric vehicles, which would have not only improved the ability for people to buy electric vehicles but also reduced emissions. So... The good news is the tax cut has passed, electric vehicles will be cheaper, and the opposition led by uh, Dutton and Little Proud continues to demonstrate its irrelevance to modern Australia. And we want to acknowledge always more work to do, but progress is a series of small steps until we get the great leap forward, as I believe somebody who knew one or two things about transformational change, if not, you know, human morality, once expressed. Absolutely. And Van... Unfortunately, today, I haven't been able to print out our list of cadre and extend the reach supporters from our Buy Me A Coffee page. I want to apologise to those supporters because their support has meant that we've been able to have a huge couple of episodes in the last couple of weeks. Look, I'm going to take full responsibility for this because it is my birthday and I did make Ben take me to a fancy French restaurant for lunch, which I thoroughly enjoyed and I did have three courses and a violet spritz because it is my birthday. I lead a very pious life. This is the one day of the year that I truly eat like, you know, a Renaissance bishop. So it was my fault and I do apologise. But we extend our sincere thanks to all of our cadre and Extend the Reach supporters. We will name you all on the weekend wrap and, of course, our buck a week and one-off supporters as well. We couldn't do this show without you. It has allowed us to reach you know, nearly 700,000 downloads so far. We continue to go strong. We're aiming to get to a million by Easter. And until Sunday where we'll do a weekend wrap, probably do it from the car on the way to Sydney. My mum might make a special appearance. (laughs) So tune in for that. Until then, love you, Vanny. Love you too. Bye. Bye.